I'm Lauren Sterling, and this is Ordinary Grit, the podcast where I talk to ordinary people who have overcome and are doing amazing things because your story has power. All right, friends, you know I'm a talker, but did you also know that I'm a real estate agent? Episode two of 2024 is sponsored by yours truly, an agent for buyers and sellers at Kansas City Real Estate Inc. I'm an honest straight shooter, y'all know, that believes that buying and selling real estate shouldn't be painful and you shouldn't have to figure out who's telling the truth and who has your best interest at heart. I lead both buyers and sellers through all kinds of life-changing purchases, upsizing for growing families, downsizing after loss or life change, first-time buyers, investment properties, land, all of it. Secret, I can also help you find an agent in other states that would take as great care of you as I do. So if you or anyone you know is thinking of buying or selling, please give me a call. All right, Ordinary Grit fans, this is season two and episode two, and this is my friend Ryan. This man is full of life, full of energy and passion, has the biggest smile, and is just one of those charismatic personalities that sucks you right in and you just know is full of life and really the Lord. So I am excited for you to hear some of his story. He is a part of a ministry that I love in Jamaica that is doing really, really great things for a small community there. And I think you're going to be challenged by his mentality really about living out the gospel, doing ministry. We even touch on loneliness, which is a a conversation that is a big deal right now, obviously not just in the States, but worldwide. So I'm really excited for you to be moved and challenged and really just to enjoy my friend Ryan. This is my friend Ryan, and you are a part of an organization and a ministry that I've been, that I've known about and been a part of for a really long time. When I was young and I was going and doing trips in Jamaica there. And then as a newish adoptive mom, I went, I think that was like 2016 or 17. And then this year I got to go back with my teenagers. So I just met you this year and you are just a, such a bright light in in that ministry. And not that that ministry is dark. It you're, it, that isn't it. There was just such a fresh light, a fresh energy. And you were a big part of that. You and you and a handful of others. So we may just have a whole string of Jamaica conversations because you and several others were just really stood out and really bring not just energy, but I don't know what the right word is, but there, it, it there is such a freshness and a, and a newness to what God is doing in that part of Jamaica. And so I don't know why, while we were there, I never thought about this. Um, Maybe I was just in my own head, you know, being on a mission trip with my kid. But as soon as we got back, I was like, Ryan, I want to talk to you on Ordinary Grit. There is grit in your story for sure. And um, so here we are. So tell me a little bit, we'll start with like now and then maybe go backwards, which seems a little goofy, but just to kind of under get a, give us a frame of reference of what you're doing now, and then we'll we'll go back because I think the story of getting there and getting to getting to ministry is really important. So tell me about your role. You can tell me about Harmons, whatever you want. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure being here, and I had the most amazing time with you while you were in Jamaica as well. You have the gift of encouragement and your words always just um, speaks volume to my heart. So I appreciate you so much. 
Yeah. So currently I work with One by One to Jamaica as the Jamaica Operations Director. It's an experimental role that was created two years ago with the understanding that the organization desired more intentionality of having Jamaicans um, leading the ministry here on the ground. And so I came in and I have been serving um, faithfully here in Harmons since that particular time. A couple of the things that I'm responsible for is just overseeing our Jamaican staff on the ground, planning and executing short-term mission trips or for volunteer groups and just helping to advance in the ministry in a strategic way of meeting the overall objective of empowering lives and just seeing the people of Harmons becoming the heroes of their own stories. And it has been quite the ride, one that I thoroughly enjoy and just have been having a wonderful time so far. Here in I like Harmons, that line. I like that about becoming the heroes of their own story. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit because there's people who listen that haven't been or so I didn't mean to to cut you off, but I want to talk about Harmon's and maybe do you know a, just enough statistically to talk about what the need is and why for many years trips have been coming and what we do. And I can talk about what we do on those trips from our, my perspective too, however you want to do that. But what, what about Harmon's? needed a hero you know like wh wh why do people come yeah so harman's is what we would consider to be a materially poor community here in jamaica uh, there are many infrastructural challenges that are very present in the community um, some being one there is no running water in the community water has to be trucked in community for residents to have or they will rely on rainfall to get that basic need of water mm -hmm. also the road conditions are pretty bad and so that affects persons traveling outside of the community to come in or from inside to go up to access towns for work for groceries or just to connect with the basic amenities out there that it can help to, you know, to further advance their welfare and life. It's a community also that is challenged with a high illiteracy rate. Uh, many adults struggle to read and write. Many children presently are not able to read at the grade level that they ought to be reading at. And so when you don't have people being able to read, and, and write effectively, that just challenges every aspect of their lives. And so we recognize over time that it, it causes them to have just this perpetual cycle of poverty, material poverty, that is just inherent in the community. So One by One to Jamaica is here, has established its roots for, for many years, but just have kind of realigned our focus over the years that we want persons to be empowered. So the, the mission right now is to glorify God and make disciples by empowering lives. And that is just the primary focus that we seek to do right now, just to help people, instead of giving them a handout, we want to give them a handout that they can just lead successful lives on their own. Yeah. And I, I've seen, I've seen that. I think, I mean, in any ministry, you, you, 
have a mission, you have a purpose, and then it changes and you realign with, you, you see how something's working and something's not working. And so that's super normal. That's not like failure over the years. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of great things. When I, when I first came, I think it was like 2006. And I mean, they'd mm-hmm. been in the community a long time, but for us as a church, it was our first year of coming. And mm-hmm. so no expectations is a very different thing than coming time and time again and having some level of expectation. So, uh, you know, we came and had no idea what not having running water was going to be like. We had no idea what kind of house we were building. Uh, We had no idea what the infirmary was like. The infirmary rocked my world, my first trip. Like, Mm -hmm. ugly cried. It, It was like... And, mm-hmm. it, and even that was a different experience. Not that that's yeah. connected to one by one and it's not part of their, you know, it's not something that they run, but yeah. even that over the years has, has improved. But man, that first year I thought this is where Jesus would be in Jamaica yeah. and I suck at it. And so what did that say about me? And I mean, cause I was a disaster. So I think that watching over the years, I have watched it change. I watched you guys do the greenhouse, trying to teach how to plant food that is that that uh, that's a sustainable job and project that over time is wise and the amount of Jamaicans that have been involved in building the homes and so for a long time we built a foundation and built a home but over time we've done a lot more we we spend a lot more time in the school we do things on the grounds we do things off with families so I can see the evolution but it's good. It's it. There's a lot of really good things. And this last trip, mm-hmm. I think all Jamaicans were running the, I mean, when we got there, there was none of the American staff. And I loved that because that really shows the growth and, and, and you guys were just fun. It was just a very different, not that those guys aren't fun. So don't let them hear. <laughs> I've, oh, I've been on enough trips that I think I've been with like almost all of the, the main people who ran those trips. I've been on a trip with everybody. And so this was just, it, it's good. I, I can see what God's doing. And even, even the hope in, like you said, with one of the guys that's on staff that couldn't read until he was in his thirties, that mm-hmm. knows scripture really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. So I, and, that is inspiring, you know? Like yeah, what- and, and Big Man is kind of like the model of what we want to, to develop and replicate within the community because mm-hmm. he's the person who, I, his story is just absolutely amazing. He was at rock bottom, have tried everything in life and was just perpetually failing. And then he tried Jesus. And having that relationship with Jesus became the catalyst for like just gradual changes in his life. And it was in his relationship with Jesus that he started to learn how to read by reading the Bible. And now he's pretty fluent in his ability to read. And and not only that, he is now full-time with One by One to Jamaica. But through his passion for Jesus Christ, he has now even started an outreach ministry of giving back in the community. And so every single day we're like, how can we be intentional in replicating more big minds in the community? Persons who will rise up and find their purpose in life and just being able to assist and help with the gradual changes and the cultural changes that we want to see within Harmons. And that's the big dream that 10 years from now, the community will have 
many big minds in it. Yeah. And then we will be able to go out into other communities and started here in Harvard's. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think he's also a good reminder that sometimes the timeline or the expectations of success don't look like what, you know, we want kids reading by like what, like third grade or something. And that is still a great goal. And what Nick is doing in the school and what can, I mean, what, what a, a lot of the pieces of education starting as kids is obviously really, really important. And I'm, I believe in education, but I think he's a good reminder that sometimes success is on God's timeline. And that it's not hopeless, that that he was able to learn and thrive and love scripture very late, like like really that could have been really frustrating. And so I think that's good, too, that sometimes the storyline, the order of things doesn't look like mm -hmm. what we would what we would want. And it's still really successful and really rich. So, yeah, maybe I'll talk to him, too. But that's that's a good one. So, OK, so. I did get to talk to you a little bit while we were there about, I mean, what I, I was pretty confident you weren't from Harmon's. Not that I've been enough to have met everybody, but I did ask you some of those questions. So how did one by one find you? You know, what were you doing? What what makes you pick up your stuff and move to Harmon's when you're not from there? And then we may end up going real back, you know, further back. But let's start with that. Uh, that's a good question. So I was actually with another mission organization when One by One to Jamaica reached out to me. And I was in a transitionary period within my life as well, where I felt like, well, there's more that I would love to contribute based on the giftings that God has deposited in my life. And so I remember getting an email from um, Brian, who is the current executive director for One by One to Jamaica. And he's like, hey, I've heard about you and we'd love to kind of get you on staff, but you have to move to Harmons. <laughs> and when he said that, I was like, mm, I don't think so. Reason being is because I've been to Harmons before and it, it's not the easiest community to live in. And it's way outside of my comfort zone. And it's not filled with all the trappings of comfort and wealth that I'm accustomed to. Well, I've grown accustomed to, sorry, that's a better term to express um, that. So I was like, nah, I'm going to pass. But I don't know, there was something about it that just kept gnawing at me. So I, I just went in prayer and I prayed about it. And I felt this conviction in my heart that this is something that you should do. One of the things that I learned on a mission trip and I say this to every team that I come in contact with, is that there is no comfort in the growth zone. There is no growth in the comfort zone. The comfort zone. zone. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, Ryan, you need to practice what you preach. And so here I am. I took up the, the challenge, indicated to them, hey, I want to finish well with my previous organization. And they said, hey, we'll respect that and we will work with your timeline. And so I finished that, my previous organization, organization well just have beautiful transition and and then I came on staff and so here I am I'm living among the persons that I serve it's a real cultural change I'm a I can honestly say that I'm a local missionary here in Jamaica because Harmons is unlike any other community that I've served in um, before and so just living here full-time and, and serving alongside the persons or the people here is just an enriching experience. Yeah. Well, and we, you know, as Americans, we, there are different parts of our country that are 
different cultures or feel maybe different, or, you know, we do some local mission trips. So maybe that makes sense to, to us if we can put ourselves in that spot. But when we, I think when we think of Jamaica, we think of it all being the same. So yeah. you, you grew up, I mean, you were, you, you've been, you've spent your life in Jamaica. You grew up in Jamaica, but where Harmon's, the way that Harmon's lives is different than, than where you, so maybe talk about that a little bit, just for frame of reference for people to understand. I could. So I grew up in, in a materially poor community as well, but it's not, it wasn't as materially poor as Harmon's. And then, yeah. you know, over, over time, um, I went to college, I, you know, started to work and just kind of moved away from that kind of poor lifestyle that I'm accustomed to and used to, and just kind of got exposed to more areas of wealth and access yeah. to better facilities and better roads, communities with water, just communities that will quite resemble the ones that are present in the United States of Jamaica. So Jamaica is it's quite a unique country. You know, it has great wealth, but it also has great poverty. Mm -hmm. That's kind of just prevalent and present within within the areas that we do ministry in. Yeah. And so the, the community that I grew up in is probably an hour away from where Harmons is located. Okay. I grew up in a in a single parent home that was headed by my headed by my mother. And one of the struggles in many communities in Jamaica is absent um, fathers. And so my home was absent of my father as well. And that became a huge struggle, one of my greatest struggles in life. It's funny because today is my father's birthday. <laughs> so okay. after this call, I will be giving him, I'll give him a call and wish him happy birthday. But I smile because that was not always yeah. uh, a pleasant experience for me because my father was very absent from my life. He had great wealth. But he never shared that wealth with me as an individual, as his son. There are times that he would say, hey, you're not my child. I have no responsibility towards you. And he would say the most hurtful things that really affected my self-esteem, my self-worth, and just my outlook on life. There was one particular incident I can, I can vividly remember. I was in high school at the time, and I had... As my school shoe, right, it was ruined. It was in disrepair. It was so bad that I had to use chewing gum to kind of glue it together, right? And had to put like paper in the sole of that shoe that I could walk in it to go to school. And I remember I stopped by it at his house um, one particular day and I just asked him if he could assist me with money to purchase a new school shoe. And he said something to me that that really just severed all my hope for a brighter tomorrow. He said, well, I went to school barefooted. And so you can go to school barefoot too. And that destroyed my world. That destroyed everything within me. And so for many years, I, I struggled. I, I struggled with a sense of purpose. I struggled with my care and love for him. And I and, and to deal with all of that, I just, I ended up just kind of drinking a lot and partying a lot. That's kind of how I did. That's what I did at that period in my life to numb that pain. 
that I felt yeah. inside until I had an encounter with Jesus that totally transformed my life. And now I can speak about my father in positive ways and excited just to reach out to him and to wish him um, a happy birthday. Yeah, that's a huge redemptive piece for sure. What do you think about him saying that, you know, I went to school barefoot, you can go to school barefoot. What do you think that, wh- why do you feel like that was the like last straw? What did it communicate to you? Do you know? Do you even know looking back now? Yeah, I think it's something as for him that would just like purchasing a Starbucks, right? That's just him purchasing a coffee. That's what it would have cost him at yeah. that particular time because he was a person of means for my mother and, and myself. That was a huge struggle for us mm-hmm. because we did not have that. But he had the means to do it. And just his reluctance as, and his intentionality in not. His, his reluctance to do something that he was quite capable of doing. You think it, it communicated that, oh, now I now I know for sure you do not care about me. You You are not. You are not yes. caring. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, okay. it was just that it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Sure. Because there was time and, and, and periods before that he would have done things to, yeah. you know, just to be unkind towards me. But sure. the fact that he had the means to purchase some things that cost him nothing, but right. for us, it cost us everything. And right. he was unwilling to do that, just said, hey, I, I just don't care yeah. about you. And and so I responded in a way that if he doesn't care about me, well, you know, I'll just do I'm me, done. even though doing me was unhealthy things. Yeah. Okay. So going back, at being raised by your mother, there was a, a sibling in the house, right? It wasn't just you or it was just you? Yeah. My mom had two children. Um, I'm the first of to my sister, who is fathered by a different father, okay. um, is two years younger than myself. Okay. Uh, I thought so, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful also. Okay. And so tell me, faith-wise, as you're growing up in this single-parent home, what is your exposure to the Lord, to any amount of theology or belief? I think, looking back, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about missions or short-term missions is because my first experience of knowing my need for Christ happened from a visiting mission team to the local church that I was attending at a VBS activity. Okay. And so they came and they shared about Jesus and articulated my need for Jesus in a way that I had never seen before. And I was like, wow, I need Christ. I, I, I need to serve Christ. And that's when I felt that first conviction in my heart. Now, I was like in probably middle school, you'd call it for yourselves. But it was years after that I would have made a decision to officially serve Christ. But my first need for him, my first desire for him happened at that VBS from that short-term mission trip group. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's cool. That that makes sense why that would ring so, so true. Okay. Yeah. So high school, you you somehow have the ability to go to college. Is, is that different than it is in the U.S.? Because you you had said you didn't have the means, uh, or are you? Did you get scholarships, or what does that look like to be able to get those opportunities? 
All right, that's pretty. That's a pretty good question that you're asking, right? So my experience is different from many other persons' experience, right? And mine was a pretty unique one because so I got I became a Christian in my final year in high school. I okay. got pretty sick. I was pretty ill. I was hospitalized for eleven days, and the doctors said that they think I have meningitis. Okay. And the crazy thing was this, right? There was a person who was who was admitted during that particular time. I was in the hospital for meningitis, and he died a couple of days. And I was like, "Wow, that's that's weird." Uh, but there's yeah. a there was an elderly guy who I shared a room with. He lent me his Bible to read. He said, "Right," he said to me, "Well, young man." You should try reading this Bible, and mind you, so this is way before TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, right before social media. I was bored out of my mind while I was in the hospital at that time. So with right. nothing else to do, reading the Bible seemed like a good thing, and so I started to read. Mind you, I don't remember what I was reading, but I remembered. Remembering in that particular time, becoming the person that I've always wanted to be, and the person that I've always wanted to be was connected to that initial experience I had at Diabetes when I wanted to serve Christ. Now, remember, it was years after, so I went through that difficult period of dealing with the hurt from my father through partying and drinking. And so I thought I had become the person that I've always never wanted to be. And I felt that sense of conviction in my heart again that I need to be serving Christ. And so right there on my hospital bed, I said, God, I'm sorry, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. And instantly, I kid you not, I felt as if there was a sh like a, a shifting shadow just blew right out over me. And I, I was just healed. I went to the doctor the following day. I'm like, dude, I feel better. Like, I think go home. He's like, well, your vitals look far better, but I need to observe it for a few more days. And that's what he did. And so that's kind of how I became a Christian, miraculously, I guess. And I just developed this great desire in wanting to serve Christ. And, and so... Bible studies, I was there, I was purchasing Bible commentaries and Bible handbooks as a, as a high school kid, like who does that at that particular time? And my pastor at the time, he encouraged me. He said, Ryan, I think that you have a calling to go into ministry. And uh, like, what's that? You know, and, you know, he explained to me that, hey, well, God has placed this desire in your heart to kind of serve him in this particular way and so uh, I went to I went to a bible school and so that's kind of things worked out for me my church helped to fund my tuition um, to go to college to do my undergraduate and the commitment was that in the summers I would go back home and assist them with okay. just, just working in the church yeah that's how my college experience was covered for many other persons it's not like that persons yeah. had to do like student loans and different things to fund their college experience. But fortunately for me, the church assisted with that. And I, you know, served them in the summers and I went back after college and I worked with them for four years. Okay. 
What did you do there? Yeah, so I worked as uh, I worked as an associate pastor with my church, and I was assistant to uh, my senior pastor at the time, and I was and I oversaw a few ministries within the church at that particular time, or youth ministry, or men's ministry, and just some other different aspects of what we do. So yeah, it was pretty cool experience. So you have really been exposed to lots of different kinds of ministry. I mean, in the church, yeah, in different parts of, of Jamaica. So is there the same like kind of scrutiny where because you're in ministry or because you're on staff, you know, people have uh, opinions about your life. Like, I mean, are you... Do you deal with the same, there's like a, some warfare, but also internal ministry can be, can be really difficult. I mean, do you, do you see it that way? From a particular mentor I had in one season of my life, he said that ministry is three S's, service, sacrifice, and sorrow. (laughs) And that sorrow, yeah, that sorrow aspect is something that is real, like serving God and being faithful in serving God does not guarantee us or, or does not make us immune from pain. No, right? for sure. So some of my most painful experiences I've encountered is in some of my most faithful times yeah. um, to God. And, and yeah, there is that critical eye that persons have of you as a pastor. or They believe yeah. that, you know, you should be doing this or you should not be doing that. You know, one of the things that, maybe especially for me now you know that there's still a critical eye on is that well you know you've been you've been in ministry for many years and you're still unmarried you know and people have many opinions on that you know what still causes you to be an unmarried individual causes you but what causes you like it's like it's an illness but Yes, yes. And it's, 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 it's crazy, you know, and I find that sometimes, you know, we are not the most encouraging as a church, you know, yeah. we're not the most encouraging as we should be, you yeah. know, we have an idea as to how people ought to live their lives, not by, not by what God wants for them, but what, but what we want for them. And, yeah. and we pass that expectation on them. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it can be challenging, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and I was going to use the word sacrifice and you used that in your three S's. So, I mean, you have you have sacrificed comfort and even even in obedience. I didn't know if we were going to touch on the fact that you were unmarried, but it, there there is sacrifice there. And I, like, I don't know if this is true in Jamaica and, and I don't know what, what, what we'll do with this part. But here in the States, godly men are very attractive married or unmarried women are are after a godly man but it doesn't always mean that it's the right thing either and so clearly you have you know lived in obedience i would guess it isn't because there isn't a single woman in jamaica that wants a godly man with a great smile and and i mean you just have such good energy so you have sacrificed to live obediently out, outside of convenience comfort um, and maybe even what you want, your own desire. What does that look like? How do you l- listen? How do you make decisions about whether it's dating or where to go next? I mean, you kind of talked about praying about going to one by one, but what is that sacrifice? What does that sacrifice look like for you? And what does it look like to listen? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, um, that's a pretty good question, right? Well, it's, 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 you know, to be real, it's a daily struggle, you know, because one of the things that I've learned over time is how to become more vulnerable, you know, and, and so I try to journal a lot and try to have those real deep conversations with myself on my journal paper about the different things that I've experienced, right? So there are things that I've wanted for me personally. And sometimes I'm like, well, Ryan, I'm going to go after what I want, right? And those are moments when I've witnessed God showing up in my life. And he has allowed many things that I've personally wanted that he never had a desire for me to have to kind of just blow up in my face, you know? And that usually gets me back to a place where I'm like, well, God, I'm sorry. And, and to relinquish that at the end of the day. And, and then there are those times as well that are more resolute and more committed in yeah. understanding what is not good for me and what is not healthy for me. And, and, and even though there might be a desire for that, to be more intentional, to stay away from those particular things, you know. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that goes for relationship as well, you know just kind of knowing that and, and and being aware of that helps me to kind of avoid um, those situations, even though that person might be interested in me or my, I might be interested in them. But at the end of the day, I know that our lives are going in two different directions. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I try my best to stay away from those yeah. particular situations as well. Yeah. I, I've learned over lots of years, not just in loss in my own life, that loneliness can happen in a room full of people, right? Loneliness mm -hmm. can happen in a, in a in a town where the people that you're serving are surrounding you. You hardly get a free moment of, I heard a rooster a minute ago. I mean, I know there's always noise, and but you can still feel lonely. How do you combat that? What, what do you do? I didn't know we would go here. So you're probably like, Lauren, I did not sign up for this. So I'm sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. You know, so one of the things I've had struggles, I don't, and, I, and I've learned how to kind of make the distinction and make the differentiation between, uh, uh, between the concept of loneliness. Yeah. Because, because I've recognized by my own experience and experience of others that I have observed as well that you can be in a relationship with a person and still feel lonely, right? And so it's, it's having someone that you can relate to on the level that you're at that helps us to escape those features of loneliness. And so while I'm single, I do have persons that I can connect with and I can relate to in genuine friendships and genuine companionships, right? That helps to mitigate feelings of loneliness um, for me. But I can remember as well, there was a particular time in my life that I was in a relationship with someone and I was, that's the most lonely that I've ever been. Right. Because right. we were just never on the same level or on the same yeah. page, right? I just could not connect with them or they could not see from the perspective that I was trying to see things or share things. And, and perhaps it was the same for them where I was concerned. You yeah. know? And that was just not a great fit at all. Yeah. And I would also say you can be in a godly relationship and your feelings are mm -hmm. still, sometimes they're lying. Sometimes they're real, but you got to figure out why you feel them. I mean, you can be married to a really, really great person, but they're not the Lord. 
And so there are just things in us that are only made for the Lord that, that really I, it, I can only go to with, with him. I can only rest in, in his provision, in his comfort, in his like, Oh, I get to like, take a deep breath somewhere. There's no human that can carry all of that. And so I think that that helped to being in a, in a good marriage, you know, that I really liked him and he liked me. And I think that was good for me that even he who was godly and we were going the same direction. I mean, we were, we ran a good race. He, he wasn't the Lord for me. And so he couldn't carry things that, that really only were, were made for me and the Lord to walk out. So yeah. I think that was good for me to know while I was married so that then when he was gone, I recognized that a lot of loneliness is a lie. Now, there is mm-hmm. isolation that can happen and it being in ministry yeah. and living among the people that you do ministry with, you could easily isolate like I mm-hmm. have to. And and I think that that it's good that you recognize that you need to have people that you can, you know, yeah. be honest with, be vulnerable with. But at the end of the day. Oh, there are things that only the Lord can be for you. And yeah. so, yeah. And and that's true in ministry all over the place, single or not. So that wasn't some Valentine's day, <laughs> you, you know? So no, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what God's going to do with you and your story, but I can see you're a powerhouse alone. And, and if God brings you a powerhouse woman also, then that could be really awesome. So I'm not, I'm not one who thinks that everybody needs to get married. So we'll just, I, I think it'll be fun to watch what happens with you. I think one of the, the most difficult things is to kind of get to that understanding that our stories are different. When I was, when I was writing or judging my story, sorry, because God should be writing our story, right? But right. there was a period in my life that I was the one writing my story. Sure. But when I judge my story by how other person's stories are, yep. you know, it, there's always that it leads to that time of kind of feeling, you know, like either you're better than persons or you're less than persons. Yeah. So I think I've kind of gotten to that place where I'm learning that my story is different and I'm okay with that. Yeah. So not everybody's story is the same where they get married at 20 and have right. their kids and live happily ever after. You know, yep. some people's stories is that they'll probably get married at 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, mm-hmm. whatever. But that's how God wanted it to be for them. And, and so getting to that place was not easy, but I think I'm at that place and I'm like, God, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think the comparison creates a discontent. And I I think being, being content is a different word than happy. You know, there's a lot of talk about whatever makes you happy in, in our our culture. And that's just really kind of garbage because there's a lot of things that make you happy temporarily that are not godly or what he wants. There, there are things that, you know, the world would tell you would make you happy that don't actually, and happiness just isn't the goal. You know, when we're walking Mm -hmm. with the Lord, joy is a fruit of the spirit. So I can have joy if I'm walking with him and he lives inside of me. That is a bonus. That is different. But I kind of hate when people Mm -hmm. tell me that they just really want for me to be happy. I kind of, I'm like, that is not, that's not the goal. So, okay. Mm -hmm. I want to back up to something. Tell us a little bit because it's your dad's birthday and because there's yeah. been redemption there, how did you get to that place where you had a kind of relationship and what did it look like to walk through that? 
Yeah, I think it just got to a place where as I was growing in my faith as, as a Christian, I recognized that the need to forgive, right? That there was an anger that I had inside of me. There was some hatred and resentment that I had there for years. And I just needed to let go of that. I just needed to release that. And so as I matured in my faith as a Christian, it became, it wasn't, I thought it would have been something challenging, but it wasn't as challenging as I thought it would have been. Maybe that's kind of how I am by nature. I'm not sure, but I just learned how to let it go, you know, just to say, yeah. hey, you know what? I forgive you. Yeah. And Well, you could have it. said, I forgive you. And he could have said, I don't care. And I don't want a relationship with you. But, but obviously that has changed a little bit. Do you feel like it, over time uh, he, he wanted to have a relationship or your expectations of what that looked like changed? And if he does, he does. And if he doesn't, he, you don't care. I think you have hit the nail right on its head, right? I think my expectation over time also has changed. I think when I was younger, I like, I remember as a, as a kid, I saw this, I was in primary school and I saw my friend. It was my best friend in primary school. I still remember his mm -hmm. name because of the experience. His name is Kevin. No, I've, I've not heard or seen him since primary school. I don't know what he looks like, but I remember his father bringing him to school one morning and he had him on his shoulder. His dad had him on his shoulder like this, right? And I remember he took him off and put him down, reached down and kissed him on his, far, on his forehead and rubbed his hand in, on, in his um, hair and said, I love you. And I just remember just standing there and I was like, I want that. I desire that. And for many years, that's what I really wanted from my father, I guess. So just, just perpetually being rejected or being denied of that, that's kind of what caused all of that hurt. And, and so you're right. My expectations changed over time since I've forgiven him. And I've recognized that I will never get that. Yeah. But I'm okay with it. That which I desired, that I wanted, that kind of relationship, like it's absolutely late for that for us right now. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm good with that right now. It's, it's just readjusting my expectations mm -hmm. and recognizing that the circumstances of our experiences will never give me that. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. And I'm just making good of the experiences that we have now. My father will never call me, right? It's just not in him to do that, right? And right now he's in a position where he's living in a nursing home. He's estranged from most of his children, right? And But I'm at a place where I no longer need anything from him, but he needs something from me. And it's like a reversal of roles. And I'm like, am I going to be the person that he was to me or will I be better for him? Mm. And it's such, it's such great joy for me to be put in this position where no, I don't treat him the same way that he treated yeah. me. And I offered to him the things that I wanted for myself and being okay with the fact that there's nothing more that will ever come from it. But I'm not even doing this so much for him anymore. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. And I'm doing it because it makes my heart healthy and happy yeah. at the end yeah. of the day. Ryan, that is so profound. You're living out the gospel for him. And yeah. ugh, like, I, 
I hope you get some really awesome opportunities to talk about how you're able to live that way because he can't, he cannot help but see Jesus in that because that's, that's not normal. That's not human. We, you know, the world wants to call that a toxic relationship that you should cut off and run from. And, and instead you're the way that you have received love from the Lord, you're, you're willing to give. And I mean, what, what you just said at the end about why you do it is really, really profound. So that's really good. It's really good. Do you feel like the Lord protected you from your relationship with your dad affecting the way that you know the Lord as a, as a, as a father, or do you feel like God just that, that you, some people have a hard time. I'm not wording this very well. Some people have a hard time when their relationship with their dad is rough to not see the Lord the same way. Do you see Lord as the dad that put you on the shoulders that, that, is able to love you and, and encourage you that way? Or have you had to wrestle that out a little bit? Yeah, I think I definitely had to wrestle that out a little bit. You know, um, it, it took a lot to kind of learn how, like the concept of God's love oftentimes seems foreign, especially when the human persons that should be loving you are it's tangible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of unlearning that had to happen yeah. in my life. And it's still happening because by no means I'm not perfect at all, right? But I think a part of kind of maturing in your faith is, is learning and unlearning and, and, and kind of just walking through the, you've kind of said it, the toxic relationships and call it for what it is, but understanding that's, that's a poor representation of, of who a father should be, and that's no indication of who God the Father is to us as well. And so I guess it's, it's, it's in that space of kind of relearning that I'm developing a deeper faith and a deeper connection with Christ as well, and kind yeah. of not operating from, from an orphan spirit, because you're right, my relationship with my father, like I said before, affected my self-esteem, my self-worth, my self-confidence. So there are things that I never felt like I was deserving of. And I, and I lived with that sort of mindset. And subconsciously, that's kind of how I approached life, that I was less than, I was insignificant. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of love. You know, even though you're desirous of it, you felt this, this unworthiness of it. And, and, and so I just had to go through all of that and recognize, no, Ryan, you, you're a child of God, right? And, and, and understanding what a child of God makes me and, and the power that gives me and the joy that is accessible to me. And I'm just loving that experience right now. Yeah. Yeah. You live that really, really well. You live joy and contentment in mm -hmm. it really well. So, and I, and I know you don't feel that all the time, but that's not really the point. The point is knowing what is true, big T, yes. you know, what it, what, what God really says is true that we can stand on. And, and I can see, I can see that I can see so much um, redemption and, and, and that's what, you know, like you said, we, we learn and we unlearn and we learn. And the older I get, the less I know. And the more I have to learn about who God really is, because I, you know, we're supposed to get older and wiser. And, and sometimes I just get older and less, less knowledgeable and really more vulnerable to, I have to rely on the Lord 
which is good. It, it, it yeah. my self-reliance and my, my like ability to pull myself right up and do it myself is, is less and less because really I can't, there's a lot I can't do without the Lord. Okay. So in wrapping up, is there anything we didn't talk about that you're like, I have to tell you this. Is there anything that we have to know that I think this has been really encouraging for, from a lot of different aspects, anything you didn't get to yeah. say? Well, I've said so many things. I don't know. It's usually when you're listening afterwards, you're like, oh, I probably should have said that. But you know what? I just know. popped in my heart. One of the things that, that I learned over time, what is the tr- truest thing about you? And that still connects with me and resonates to me to this very day and is very applicable for the discussion that we're having. And so the truest thing about me is not that I'm a guy. It's not that I am... Um, I'm, Af- I'm, I'm African from African descent. It's not that I'm Jamaican, you know, because all of those things can change, right? The truest thing about me is that I am loved eternally by God. And it's the idea and the reality of that, that irrespective of my failures, my mistakes, the wrong things I've done, the rejection I've, I've, I've gotten, it's that that really fills my heart with joy and gives me hope for a brighter tomorrow that if God loves me this much, man, wow, then I'm excited because there are greater things in store for me at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it, it, every day in a different perspective that this is yeah. your, at your mission, that's your identity. And you can wake up every day in a place that you didn't think you wanted to live and yeah. go, I know who I am here. And so yes. until God, until God moves you, you're in a really, really good spot. And so I am really excited for what you guys are, are doing there. I was super, super encouraged by, by what's happening there. And um, really just that God's still moving there. I think that's the, the reminder. And I, and I think it sometimes you have to leave your home to see that, God's moving all over the place that, that there is still activity happening. And, and then, so then when I come home, I see it here too. I, I I'm able to have fresh eyes too. The, the same God that is moving in Harmon's is the same God that's moving here. So yes. it's, those are all good reminders that I, I want to live obediently like that too. I want to, I want to live so confident that I know who I am because of who I am loved by and, and who I'm known by. That, that I, that's all, that's really at the end of the day, that's my identity is in him and glorifying mm-hmm. him. Not even what I can do for him because he can take that. Mm-hmm. He, he can, he can take my gifts. He can take my voice, my, my legs, like my, my ability to do isn't even my identity. It's just in knowing him and glorifying him. And if I can wake up and stay focused on yes. that every day, I'd be in a lot better place. Like, I, you know, yes. I wouldn't get caught up in, in silly. So Hey, thank you. You, thank you got asked questions you were not prepared for. And um, no, really, it. really, it's good. It's I think it's going to be really good for, for a variety of people. So I really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me and just giving me the opportunity to come and share, you know, bits and pieces of my story. And yeah, I hope that would be a blessing to others as well. Yeah, no, it will. Thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good day, Brian. Have a great day and keep being amazing. Thank you so much for listening. If you have or know someone with an inspiring story, you can apply to be a guest at OrdinaryGrit.com. 
Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at Ordinary Grit Podcast to get to know me and my guests.